Hi, I'm Janet Harrison, founder of the People's Choice Wine Awards, and this is Open Up and Pour, a podcast about folk who are enthusiastic about wine and who know a good thing when they taste it. Well, next July, I will hold my call down Vauxhall Pleasure Garden. When my swimming pool's filled up with port, I will float among the gardens. We've got two fantastic guests with us today. First one is Edwin Booth, who's the Chief Executive and Chairman of Booth's Supermarkets. 28 stores, I think, around the north of England. And still has its head office in Preston, founded in 1847. Hasten to add that Edwin wasn't around then. And also we have Helen Nugent, who's a journalist and also the editor of Northern Soul which is a fantastic website and resource for anything so arts, culture, music, business, food in the North specifically. So welcome to both of you. Thank you. Good to be here. Hello. Can I just say, Helen, that's a really buzzy publication you got there. Oh, thank you. You know you've been in it. Uh, Well, I didn't, but I like it. (laughs) I did it. I used to work for the Yorkshire Post. Um, Ah. About, I did check before I came on. Of course, it's completely got lockdown brain, it's completely gone out of my mind. I interviewed you for the Yorkshire Post and Northern Soul simultaneously about five, six years ago. Okay. Um, I remember grilling you when a, when a booth might come to Ramsbottom. That's <laughs> really oh. She said, hopefully, yes. She says, well, I'm moving house, so probably less important to me now. But yes, we'd like a booth in Rummy. Yeah, I have to warn you, Edwin, it might be a bit of a booze loving tonight because um, we're both booze fans. I'm ready for this. <laughs> well, three of us. Then. I'm, sure I'm going to lap, lap it up every bit. <laughs> um, so, first things first, uh, I mean, I got told off for clanking my glass on the desk last time by my producer, so I've got it on a tea towel. But what are you both drinking? Edwin, what have you got on your glass? Well, I've chosen a bottle of Chateau Pierrai from Bordeaux. Yeah, it's 2018 vintage. And um, it's quite unusual in that it's not your classic Sauvignon Blanc and Semillon. It's actually Sauvignon Blanc and Sauvignon Gris. Mm-hmm. And it creates a really zesty wine, but it's not overly, overtly Sauvignon or catty. Um, and it's beautifully balanced. The, 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 the actual Sauvignon Gris actually produces a slightly more sort of elegant style of wine and gives it a little bit more rondeur, as they say in, in France. It's, it's more rounded. Um, it's a very complete wine, and I feel quite nostalgic about this because the family that make it are called the Demonchaux, and Alice and Jacques, made an impromptu visit to me over 30 years ago. And um, they spoke to the reception and said, would the wine buyer be interested in seeing our wine? And it was wonderful. I mean, Alice just charmed me, basically. I couldn't say no when she said, do you want to buy the wine? Jack couldn't speak a word of English and just nodded politely in the corner of the room. And uh, we opened a bottle of the wine and I was absolutely blown away by it. And we have been ever since. And... um, it's absolutely delicious as an aperitif, but it's fabulous with prawns and langoustines and that sort of thing as well. Great so I'm very happy here. Very great story. What are you drinking, Helen? I am drinking Tierra Iombre, 
Because they always say it. Tierra, I used to speak Spanish. That's terrible. I can't do that now. Tierra y hombre. I think it might mean earth and man. Um, it's a Chilean one. Uh, it's from Marks and Spencers, I should say. Quite oh. No booths near me. One of the main things I missed, I teach journalism, music journalism at Salford University for some of the year. And part of the joys of that was going to booths, which is underneath my car park every night. And I used to go every night and I'd pick up this Chilean Merlot that Booth does. I think it was about £10 and it was just a really easy drinking red because I start in January. So you want reds in winter. And so I do miss that. So I've been forced to go, I'm afraid, to my local M&S. It's only, you know, it's not an expensive wine. It's a, you know, it's, I think it might be eight, nine pounds or something. It's just one of those go-to drink on their own. I work from home. So from doing a double shift in the evening, I don't do it with a cup of tea. I do it with a glass of wine. Very sensible. Yes, I like it when it's really chilled, which it is at the moment. It's, as I say, it's just smooth. It's not particularly massively demanding wine, but it's just nice to sit when I'm doing my work to have a little glass of that on tap. So that's what I've got today. I tend to drink white wines in the summer and red wines in the winter. And I like a bit of fierce every now and then, so. Well, I've got a Mirabeau, which is um, actually from Booth's. So I, oh, I, I recognise it. I recognise it well, Janet. My daughters <laughs> are drinking it all the time. In fact, I think it's intravenous at sight. Oh, it's, it's a Cote de Provence rosé, which is very appropriate for today because it's absolutely roasting and will be for the next Lovely. two days. So if it lasts any further than this evening, we'll see. But uh, yes, cheers anyway. Cheers. cheers. Yeah. See you. Um, so Edwin, you are chief exec and chairman, as I said before and obviously been working in the family business for a while now. Obviously, you do have some background in working with wine specifically, don't you? Mm, I do. I, years ago, when I became a trainee buyer, I was very, very envious of the person who was buying the wine at the time, and I used to hover around when he was tasting, so much so that eventually, through a little bit of exertion and pressure, the buying director at the time said, right, I'd like you to hand over the wine buying to Edwin Booth because he seems to have this sort of natural affinity with it. And that was when, I think I was about 25 years old, 24 years old at the time. And I took over a very small range of wine, probably about 45 products. And within, I think, five years, I had 750. Um, I just couldn't resist buying fabulous wine and sharing my enthusiasm for it with groups of people who in in, in the droves seemed to come on and say will you do a wine tasting for us it was you know special interest groups it was rotary it was a round table in a wheel you name it wine clubs and my wife reminded me a while ago that the first year we got married which was back in 92 I, I did 48 wine tastings that year so it's almost one a week you know, I, I, I learned a huge amount about wine in those days. A lot of people took me under their wing, took me abroad uh, to meet people. People came to my door, like Alice and Jacques, who made this wine I'm drinking this evening. And um, I never looked back, really. And, you know, we've, we've had a succession of wine buyers since I handed that on. And I have to say that Victoria Anderson, who now buys the wine, really, I think she, she, she's a mind reader. She just reads my mind, and um, every time she presents a new wine, I think, oh, my goodness, I, I would have bought that. And that means so much to me, having founded this sort of 
resurgence, this renaissance in wine at booths. So um, it's a subject yeah. very clear. I'm never far away from the tasting room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a tough job, yeah. but It's terrible. Terrible, yeah. Somebody's got to do it. But yeah, Booth's won uh, Supermarket of the Year and the People's Choice Wine Awards uh, this year. And that's actually voted for by members of the public and we, we actually did get some really lovely comments genuinely lovely comments from people so we, we normally ask you know who they vote for and why they wanted to to, to place their vote with with that uh, supermarket and i think that's sort of very reflective of how booths is really quite dear in people's hearts anyway and it really does have a very personal service despite you know it being a supermarket which you, you think might not necessarily be the case but yeah had it was a very popular win and we were really thrilled that Booth had won that but so what obviously things have changed a lot since I think that was back in February what, what are you doing during Covid times have you what have you introduced that's different what might you well, it, carry on doing it, if, if you... It's been the most extraordinary period in our history. And um, someone said to me the other day, for goodness sake, we must document this because in 10, 15, 20 years time, people will never believe what happened. I mean, the first thing that happened, Janet, you probably know, is that people just went absolutely mad with um, filling their larders full of product. And the sales increases that we um, experienced were absolutely extraordinary the supply control people the work with the buyers were alchemists at that time they had to go out into the market and find product anywhere they could find it and it was an extraordinary period and we when that started to subside we suddenly realized that we had to do two particular things one was to create a shopping environment that was safe for our staff our colleagues and safe for our customers as well and that was no mean feat. You know, we had to put up screens very, very quickly. We actually manufactured those within the business. Our own shop putting people produced them. And I think it's fair to say that we moved quicker than anybody. We, we got everything into place very quickly. Um, we uh, made sure that we were involved with the various um, calls with DEFRA and the um, government agencies to make sure that we were aligned with the rest of the industry. And since then, we've developed a home-delivered uh, box scheme for people that are shielding. We further developed the very, very sort of young click-and-collect service which we had, which was only for special things like hand-dived scallops and specialist products. But we've actually expanded that to over 600 products now, and it's going to go to 1,000 products very, very soon. And along with all of that, we had various key development projects um, to redevelop our central IT systems, our payroll system, our rostering system in the stores. We had um, store enterprise um, projects. And all of these projects have carried on, despite the fact in this office here, this building, there were 180 people. There are now 10 on a regular basis. And all this work has been completed from people's homes from dining room tables, from bedrooms, from offices, studies, sometimes out in the car taking the children to, you know, to, um, you know, to, to school where, where they're able to go to school because of essential work and all that sort of thing. Um, it is a most extraordinary business now. And I have to say that um, the customers have taken us to their hearts. They really have. We have a score in our business called the Net Promoter Score, which gives us an indication of what the customers feel 
about our business. And we were running at about 68, 70%. It has shot up almost as high as 87% over the last um, few weeks. And that's been a massive encouragement to us. And um, I I think we will build on this, to be Mm. honest with you. I think a lot of things will change in terms of how we work. We're not expecting everybody to come back into the office in the future. And we won't have, certainly, we certainly won't have more than 10 or 15 people here before the end of September. Gosh, amazing, isn't it? I know, Helen, you've been doing doing a lot of uh, good news stories during dreadful times. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like so many organisations, we had to change our business model at Northern Seoul. We, we cover everything in the north and we were quite lucky in that because we have a wide range of things that we write about. We could fall back on some of those. Um, but of course, we could no longer do restaurant reviews or previews or drinks events or theatre or galleries or anything. So sort of the core culture and food enterprise things that we do on Northern Seoul were no longer open to us. So we cha- We did a number of things. We've introduced, which we've been doing for 12 weeks now, a good news article every Monday, which is where we go out, find across the whole of the north. So we're going all the way, you know, past Newcastle, Northumberland, and down uh, across to Sheffield, down to Chester. And we find things that communities, individuals, charities, organisations, councils, you name it, what are they doing to help people? And it's been our most successful article every single week. It takes quite a lot of putting together, but part of the reason we did it was to, to create some good news, but also to reward and to shine a spotlight on these people that were doing things just really out of the goodness of their own heart. We're not talking about money-making enterprises here. And we've also done a focus on individual organisations and companies that are doing fantastic work and perhaps need our help. And we've certainly on our social media shared loads of initiatives and all sorts of things. But the other major thing that we did was a mixture of articles about what to do in lockdown. That's Northern. So we did, you know, best when we got our team to do this, best Northern films, great Northern reads, all this kind of thing, which very much fits in with us celebrating the North, but also saying to people, look at what this region's produced. But we've also done things to help small businesses. So it's Independent Bookshop Week this week. So we've reshared a piece that our literary editor did where she interviewed the lots of small indies across the north about how they were coping, what we could do to help them and what individuals could do to help them. And we've done that with Northern Publishers as well. And those articles, I think, have been quite important for a lot of companies and people and we see our role very much as entertainment, but also as support. So, yeah, we had to adapt pretty quickly. But, you know, some of these things will continue to do, perhaps in a slightly different format. Mm. But I think it will fundamentally change our business model, no matter what happens going forward. Mm, interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, everything, you, obviously, everything you do is, is related to the North. What, you are from the north went to London for quite some time and I can see your obviously we're on audio here but I can see your um the times and you oh, my times the... front pages I know I just I hide them up here where no one usually sees them but of course since I've been doing zoom everyone's gone why have you got a wall of like things that you've done I said well usually no one comes up here oh so, yes, I, of you. <laughs> I, was, I was I was born in Bury grew up in Whitefield and then went to London for about 15 years 10 of which were spent on the Times as a journalist. And since I've come back, I've worked for pretty much everyone. 
Guardian, Observer, Yorkshire Post, I did for BBC for a while, all sorts of stuff. And I've really, I've really fully embraced the renaissance of the North and become pretty evangelical about it, actually. And obviously it transformed itself since I'd left. But even in the 10 years I've been living in Ramsbottom, Ramsbottom's transformed itself into a foodie destination, which it certainly wasn't a decade ago. And now you have award-winning restaurants. There's, there's, there's an amazing little wine shop called The Vineyard, which I've been ordering things from Stuart and he's been delivering, he's been working like crazy doing home deliveries. There's um, Grape to Grain, which is a wine bar straight wine shop, which also is in Presswich. And of course, there's the supermarket wines as well. So it, yes, it has the North. The North has changed a lot. And I think pretty much 9900% for the better. And the cultural life of the North is so rich, as well as the, the you know, the foodie life and and just all these small businesses. That's what surprised me most, I think, about coming back is just the the entrepreneurship of the North mm, and yeah, pride yeah. in its heritage and what it's created. And I'm, I'm really obsessed by the Industrial Revolution, how that's, that's you know, created the North and the, the architectural history. So, yes, I came back thinking, is this going to work for me? And the reason I set up Northern Soul is because it did. Because I was, and I just genuinely thought there wasn't a publication of real quality journalism that wrote about the North in any other way than small blogs and regurgitating press mm. releases. So I sort of started it as an experiment about seven years ago, literally just me and my IT guy in an idea. And now I have about 50, 60 contributors, photographers. We cover everything from border with Scotland down to Stoke. We do interviews with amazing people that you would normally see in the nationals. We interviewed Don McLean once, and that's the proudest my dad's ever been of me. <laughs> <laughs> Don McLean, never mind, I've been at the Times for 10 years. I liked it when you interviewed that railway cat, the station cat. Oh, yes, Felix, the Huddersfield station cat, is our most popular interview ever. Was um, it not Skimbleshanks? No. <laughs> whoever, whoever at Trans Pennine came up with that idea of having a cat as the mascot at Huddersfield station, you know, give that person a rosette because it's got more. I think the cat's got, there's two of them now like a hundred thousand followers on facebook it was our article was translated into chinese um so we do we have fun with it as well you know and i interviewed more from even to basil brush and sesame street and all that kind of stuff but we did we do serious things where we you know we do our enterprise section because my background is as a business journalist and actually those articles do better than anything else they're small the smaller the business the better the article does Mm. big business stuff does well too i mean obviously I interviewed you, Edwin, a few years ago for Northern Soul, but it's those really small independents that are just saying, I'm going to give this a go, that people really respond to. Yeah, we, we, we've got something in common, Helen. My great-great-grandfather actually was born in Bury. The founder was born in Bury. Really? I love the in... fact that you're supporting small businesses. We have a wonderful, yeah. wonderful business called The Wine Shed in Ribchester. At the oh, Stint Gardens, yeah. and we love going there in the summertime and sitting on the deck and choosing an interesting wine to try. And so, we've been buying cases of wine from Noala at um, the wine shed because we can't bear the thought of the business failing. Mm. So, you oh, know, and I think it's so wonderful. I fell in love with that place last year. It's special, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. So, I presume you've seen this, Edwin, a lot this sort of foodie revolution, really, in the north. 
Um, yeah, very much so. Um, you know, I mean, there are sort of bijou uh, businesses like Northcote Manor, but more particularly, um, there are smaller enterprises like, you know, the, um, the wonderful one at Fence. I'm trying to remember what it's called now. Is it the White Horse Pub? Um, and then, of course, we, we, we've been to Ramson's in, 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 in Ramy over the years. And um, we've been to various different small enterprises, you know, even if it's just for tapas and, you know, just to enjoy buying wine from someone who just has an absolute enthusiasm for food and drink. I think that's the, that's the important thing about the, the North. It does have soul. It has a lot of people who are passionate about what they're buying, what they're selling, what they're producing. And they like to share that with people in a very friendly way. And I think it's so much in North about how we make each other feel. I think it's the emotional sort of quotient, to use that term, which is so much alive up here in the North. And um, I agree with what Helen's just said. I think, you know, there are so, my daughter is, is, is working for one of the larger businesses, uh, Amazon, in Manchester. And at one point, she wanted to go and work in London, but she doesn't want to work in London now. She's been living in Manchester. She loves the North. She likes the Northern way of life. And, um, you know, she's decided now that the North is for her. Mm, that's great, isn't it? It's really um, yeah. fantastic the way it's... It's not like a... Well, you say a revolution, but it's just... I think people have always been interested in good food, haven't they? It's just that there are lots of outlets now. I know I've, I've been for lunch with Helen in, in Ramsbottom and there's just some amazing restaurants there, aren't there? Sort of smaller. Yeah, I mean, the, the Barachuri restaurant, right. um, which is part of Levanta, sort of Portuguese pinch place, uh, just, I think, some of the best food in the Northwest. It really is. Rachel Stockley, who's the head chef there, does amazing things in a really small space. And they have a fantastic wine list as well. And unlike, unlike a lot of places, there's loads by the glass. Because if you're having tapas, you might want to have a whole bottle of wine. Mm. And I can just, you know, stroll down the road and end up somewhere like Portuguese, Spanish, tapas. I mean, we've also got half of the Ram, the Eagle and Child, all these places that have won awards for sustainability and for quality of their food. And when I first moved here, when the, for instance, when you have the Manchester Food and Drink Awards, it would always be places in Chalton or Disbury that were winning. And now, repeatedly, it's places in Ramsbottom, and it's won a number of times. I think Rachel won, actually, last year, the year before, she won Chef of the Year, beating you know the likes of Simon Rogan and Aidan Byrne. So I actually, I love the way that you can just go to a small hamlet, not that Ramsbottom is, but there are places like that, particularly when you get up to Ribble Valley, which have just got these most incredible places and also in incredible buildings, which I think is important because I'm, I'm not really a fan of eating in an office building. There are a lot of the modern expensive ones that are in places like that. Mm, mm, mm. Have you seen any differences in sort of wine preferences over that period, Edwin, or are people drinking different sorts of wines, being more adventurous or not necessarily? Well, I think, I think they are, Janet, but then they have to have access to it. And I think the big supermarkets went through a really bad phase, I think, of just concentrating on promoting major branded wines from, you know, Australia, South Africa, France, and, uh, and so on. And we've tried to provide something more esoteric, but if you're going to do that, you've really got to help people to understand what it tastes like. We've got to open the bottles and put on tastings. You need to share 
you know, that knowledge with people. And um, you've got to go the extra mile, really. So that, that's what our business has been about. But the thing that just amazed me is that so many fabulous small wine merchants have cropped up, like the Wine Shed, like Wally Wine Stores. There's a lovely little tea shop in Barrow Ford, for example, which sells some very eclectic and very, very super-duper wines, some lovely Italian wines, for example. Um, not dissimilar to the way in which, you know, Helen has discovered some wonderful places in, in, um, in Ramsbottom. These are hidden gems, they really are. And I think it, it's, it's like a treasure, a treasure hunt almost, isn't it? You know, food tourism in the north of England, and particularly actually in, in Lancashire and the Ribble Valley area in East Lancashire, I think is um, very much alive. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I know I visited, I, did, I like to do little northern tours every summer. I know sort of get in the car and stay with family and sort of go around the north. Because most of my family are from Newcastle and some now live in the Lake District and occasionally I'll stop off at a and b And I discovered, I was very late to the party on this, but I discovered the Inn at Whitewell and totally and utterly fell in love with it. Gorgeous, yeah. uh, it and and it, was a, it was actually sorry when everything closed because I had a few places I was going to go and review for Northern Seoul. But I did review a lovely place called the Blackfall at Sedborough. I think I've said Sedborough wrong. I was told by the locals I was saying it wrong. <laughs> Again, which had the most sensational food. And if I, you know, it's not on the, it's off the beaten track when it comes to mm. tourism. And I think Lancashire, is, Lancashire isn't as good at selling itself as Yorkshire is or Derbyshire is or Northumberland is. I quite like that because it means you can get bookings and you can go places and it's not crazy. I think there's something to be said for Lancashire blowing its own trumpet a bit more, particularly when it, all, its, what all its small businesses have got to offer, what its wine merchants have got to offer. There's an amazing place in Skipton, isn't there? This famous wine and whiskey place. And yes, I think it could, we could say we could be a bit shoutier about our county, actually. Yeah, and, and, but yes, but then the, yeah, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because if you do that, loads of people will come and it won't, it won't be as peaceful. Um, well, do you, yeah. you know, Helen, I've got to say, Helen, years ago, I had a letter from a customer. She said, Mr. Bood, I just want to tell you how much I enjoy shopping in your stores. They're always so quiet and you have a, <laughs> ni- and you have a nice class of customer. That's what you're basically saying. Um, and I wrote back and said, I'm delighted to receive your letter. And yes, indeed, we do have a great class of customer, but we just like a few more of them. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be a bit busier, maybe. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Why not? Helen, tell us something we don't know about you. Have you got a confession to make? On I got the a confession. Well, I could certainly give you some very good stories of my time at the Times. That <laughs> I, can imagine. I should almost certainly not be sharing publicly. Sadly, oh, mind, we've only got 10 minutes left. I know, the best ones are the ones you can't share. But yeah. So, I, yeah, I think when people meet me now, they, who don't, don't know my background, don't realise just how different my life was. Uh, but I was young then and had lots of energy, you know. I like sitting on the sofa with a bottle of wine now. Glass of wine, I shouldn't say bottle. <laughs> uh, that's that's let's, let's, let's that away. I, and I could tell you that I'm a, I've got, you know, three cats, but then that's not very attractive either, is it, to some people? Because I'll get called the crazy cat lady. I like the fact that one of your cats doesn't have any teeth. Yeah, Seamus, bless him, he's got no teeth. He just goes around sucking munchies and spitting them back out on the floor. You can only gum things, bless him. So, yes, lots of stories I'm not allowed to tell. Okay. And, but are much, much fun. I can't remember, I suppose I could, I mean, I remember like sitting on a desert island with Richard Branson when I was doing the Virgin oh. Trip. And 
Um, he actually is a, a very, I didn't know him before I interviewed him and went on this trip, a very nice guy and quite humble actually in person. So yeah, lots of things and you know, stalking the royals and an attempt to get a story and being taken by the police off the grounds of Sandringham because I was trying to write my story and my computer didn't, not Sandringham, where did they do the, where do they do the military training? Sandhurst. Oh. Um, being escorted by military police off there because my machine from the time was so rubbish that my laptop wouldn't connect and yeah lots of things like that that I'd love to be able to share the juice. Perhaps you should stuff. write a book about them. I'd need a good lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've got the idea Helen you're definitely a rebel. <laughs> yeah. yeah maybe maybe for something for my yeah golden years. What about you yeah. Edwin what about you because you must have some Good old, st oh my God, <laughs> people can't see this. Well, 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 well pe people have been wondering why I, I managed to survive here in the office. And um, this, this little fellow is my, my confidant, my friend. This is Vladislav. Um, he is cousin of Vladimir, who is actually at home. And um, a lot of people don't know that I keep a, a complete um, house full of puppets. Wow. And wow. I had a Chinese gentleman you? come and see me here once years ago, and um, he said, I'd like to see your office. I said, well, welcome in, Daniel. Come and have a look at my, my, my office. And he came in, and I said, well, look, here I have my collection of puppets. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> wow. has oh, just yes. opened a big cupboard, and... They're all here. They're all here. Enormous. Um, I, it all there. started when I rescued my children's puppets, because I used to animate their stories at bedtime. And then they, when they grew too old for puppets and wanted to throw them away in a big bin liner, I rescued them and brought them here. Oh, that's such and a shame. People, it's such a visual People thing. keep sending me puppets now. Oh. Um, here we are. This is uh, Bonzo, uh, who's a life-size hound. Oh. So, yeah, it's quite fun. <laughs> He's very happy with me in the office here. <laughs> if only we Wagging, had the film as tail. well as the audio, yeah. Helen, what do you think? I don't know. I think um, I think that would be the clip that would be promoted, wouldn't it? Never <laughs> mind everything I've been saying. It would be the dog. It would be the dog and the puppet. And uh, lastly, before we get cruelly cut off, what wines have you been drinking recently, or new great varieties that you found that you would recommend maybe to somebody else? Um, shall I go first because I know the least? <laughs> I just thought of myself as a an enthusiastic wine consumer but uh my brother-in-law who's a chef collects wine and has has something which i didn't even know existed red wine fridges and he really really knows his stuff so i always feel a little a little bit left behind with that i drank a lot of great wine when i lived in london because i was being taken for a lot of uh very nice meals as a journalist but you know it's i'm just as happy with a fantastic wine as I am with a great supermarket wine. So I did discover Aldi's, Aldi's Champagne last year, which I think it's only something like 12 pounds, which I thought was stunning mm. quality for, uh, I do know a bit more about Champagne actually, that says a lot about my career, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I, did, I did think that, that theirs was stunning quality, but no, I'm not, as I say, I'm very, I'm very fortunate. I've had a career which has enabled me to drink a lot of fantastic wine and not pay for it so I yeah I think I'll just I'll consider myself an enthusiastic appreciation and um devourer of wine but I'll leave it there particularly champagne which is good <laughs> habit to have 
Yes. You should have been a wine buyer, Helen. Yeah. <laughs> I spent uh, I spent 15 years of my career being having beautiful wines presented in front of me to appreciate, which I didn't pay for, and <laughs> tasted everything from Mouton uh, Rothschild down to the most humble Pete Poul de Pinay. And um, I probably, like you, have, you know, take a pretty sort of reasonable view of wine. I mean, I, I one year, this is a confession, I actually bought some wine for our Christmas lunch Malby. Um, no, it was little actually, because they had a particularly good claret, which I knew about, and it was at a ridiculously low price, so I bought a lot of it. But I, I, I love Pete Poul de Pinot. I think it's one of those wines that people say, Pete Poul de what? Um, from the Charente um, area. It's absolutely delicious, uh, with seafood particularly, and sea bass and things like that. But I have a terrible penchant for Barolo, and Victoria has just bought a fabulous booze Barolo, which sells at a ridiculously low price, albeit Barolo is expensive. And um, I'm certainly munching my way through that at the moment. Mm. But I have to say, my penchant is for a delicious bottle of aged claret, an old Bordeaux. Mm. That, for me, is a total and utter treat. Mm. Lovely. <laughs> I know you've got some great wines at Booth. I mean, your own label wines, I just think, are great value and really good quality. I, you know, buy them a lot. But um, Well, that's very yeah. kind of you to say so. <laughs> Part of the Booth's loving. He loves yes. <laughs> Well, it's been so lovely to speak to both of you. I'm sorry, time just runs out really, really quickly. And, um, you know, good luck with your businesses in these really weird times. Uh, but it's been so lovely to share a glass with you. And thank you very much. Cheers. Oh, my pleasure. Well, thank Cheers. you, Charlotte. Cheers. Cheers, both of you. Take care. Tell my queen Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe in your podcast app and leave us a review. Open Up and Pour is a Dap Dip production. Thanks to the original Rabbit Foot Spasm Band for the theme music. And for more information about the People's Choice Wine Awards, go to peopleschoicewineawards.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Instagram.